Welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. For our final interview of the run, we caught up with comedian and actress Sarah Kendall. We learned why her first gig made her physically sick, why she avoids tweeting, and her regrets over her worst ever heckle. Sarah Kendall, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Amnesty International here in Brooks Bar during your run at the Edinburgh Fringe. You've just come off stage. How did it go? Tonight, uh, it was it was very they it was it was good. Um, I think the problem with Edinburgh is that. When you have a night that's fantastic, like last night they were really big laughers and you kind of walk out the next night and you expect to mm. kind of hit that high level when you walk out, the second you walk out. And not all audiences are the same. Some audiences are kind of a bit more cat-like and you have to kind of coax them out a little bit. Yeah. And I found myself just getting massively irritated with them within the first three minutes. Oh, really? thinking, These bastards! Last night was amazing, you know. So you got to you got to sort of put that attitude to bed and just go, okay, you're gonna have to coax these people out a little bit more from their shell. They're just a, it's a different audience. Do you find there's kind of a dip in the middle of the week and then you know it'll be a Wednesday yeah. tonight and then it comes up at the weekend? And yeah, I think so. I think um, mood levels. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, although I kind of feel like the older I get, the more I'm more of a midweek kind of gal. Like I think weekends, I just find the whole scene a bit horrific. Yeah. Um, you know, like you get a room full of people, but you sort of go, oh God, I could actually, I'm not sure I want all yeah. these people in here. You know, I've, I've become a bit selective in my old age. And you've, uh, you've been performing your latest stand-up show, uh, Touchdown. Yes. I saw it at the Amersham Arms down in London, uh, yes. one of your warm-up shows. Yeah. thought it was great. Thank you. Um, but for those of us, uh, for those listeners who haven't seen it, could you tell us a little bit about it? No. <laughs> Buy a fucking ticket. <laughs> Uh, yes. Touchdown, or Turkdown, as it uh, was misspelt in one ar- article. Um, uh, touchdown uh, is um, its a story about um, my life in 1992. I, I start by telling an old joke that I used to tell in my stand-up set. Uh, not a joke, a story I used to tell. And uh, I sort of deconstruct that story and tell what really happened and who the people really were and the relationships that existed. Mm. And... Um, it, it, it delves into sort of darker subject matter, certainly yeah. uh, with um, with a, a very good friend of mine and stuff that was happening in her life. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much a sort of for me it's like a big nostalgia thing. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, mm. most people around my age really like the show because they're like, oh, I was a big Twin Peaks fan. Yeah. Oh my God, you <laughs> had the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, and yeah, there's like a whole load of references there. Uh, and for me, that a lot of the show is just it's I feel very very warm about it very I, I, I love it I really mm. a lot of care has gone into it and it deals with a teenage love as well teenage love teenage heartbreak getting it completely wrong mm. <laughs> and just the just the I think I love writing about that that phase of life because um, you don't really have any other mm. arena other than school and home it's just so intense you don't have like a, a life outside of school and home those are the two 
locations that mm. everything yeah. you bandy between. And I, I just think it's a it's a real pressure cooker. It's it's yeah. fun to write about, you know, because everything is so ramped up. Everything yeah. is so emotionally raw. Yeah, your world is just so small yeah. at that age. But it seems, yeah. yeah. That's right. You've got no perspective. You can't go, oh, look, this shit happens. You know, yeah. you just go, oh, my God, I love someone who doesn't love me. <laughs> ah, I'm going to die. And the show does deal with real people from 1992. Um, I was wondering, have any of the people involved come to see the show, or no. are they even aware that they're no. that you're talking about them? No, and I've uh, I've fictionalised big chunks mm. uh, and and melded people together and made two people one person. And my fr- a friend of mine from high school came to the show, and she knew who everybody was. Right. Um, she picked it instantly, but I don't think. Like, if the people who I'm talking about came and saw it, yes, they would recognise themselves mm. easily. But it's been so um, muddied and, and yeah. fictionalised, you couldn't possibly take umbrage. You know, like, I, I have definitely protected identities. Yeah, and, and I don't, I, yeah, I don't think they're, you, you say anything that no. would upset them. No, uh, no, 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 nothing mm. that, you know, and if anybody did come forward... They'd so, well, I, I don't. I just don't think they would. I, yeah. I really, you know, it's it's not that, and it's not that kind of show. Yeah, There's exactly. nothing. I don't heap shame on people or anything like that. So. And so, will you be touring the show after Edinburgh, or is it done and dusted? I don't know. I mean, uh, for me, uh, touring isn't quite as easy as it used to be. What with the children now? <laughs> uh, so it would have it would have to be a, a pretty limited tour, just yeah. because I can't. You know, I, I can't sort of disappear for three nights in a row or, yeah. you know, I, yeah. um, even, you know, one night at a push. But it's, yeah. it's just much harder once, once, once you have kids. It's so you'd be glad of the break after Edinburgh? Yes. <laughs> you just kind of go, I can't, do this. I can't do this show. I can't say these words again. I was talking to Josie Long about it. Hey, we, both, we both had exactly the same experience where we'd done pretty what we felt weren't great shows that night and I said to her I got so bored of saying stuff the way I've said it that I just tried to shake it up and reword it and I wrecked so many jokes oh really yeah yeah like there's a reason why you do it and say it a certain way after 35 shows because it works yes you know like you know I just threw it all out the window I thought no I'm just gonna just gonna just gonna riff and it was dreadful. It was genuinely dreadful. So, yeah. Because it is, yeah, it is long-form jokes and you have to be there at the start to get to the end. Don't you? That's you have right. To, yeah, yeah, so it's, it builds up yeah. to a point. So yeah, to does. change it must be really hard after. Yeah, so, so. and also, I mean, you know, tonight I had a group of people come in about 10 minutes late and they've missed the first... The, fir- mm. the opening of the show was so vital Yeah. that I just kind of thought, what, what is this ending going to mean to you? Yeah, this exactly. is going to just make no sense. But I don't think people might. Yeah. No, I think yeah, you really need that first 10 minutes to tee up the rest of it. So it's, yeah. they must have been bewildered for the rest uh, of yeah, it. Yeah, although I think I'm bewildered often when I watch like <laughs> crime thrillers and stuff. I'm like, I don't remember that guy. Yes. So you, but you still go, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, it's like missing the first 10 minutes of Columbo. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. Or the killing. <laughs> yeah. Who's dead? Who's dead? <laughs> yeah. Um, so have you had much time to watch any comedians nope. since you've been up here? Not a dot. I haven't <laughs> seen. I haven't seen anyone. I've seen a lot of kids' shows. <laughs> I can recommend a lot of 10 a.m., 11 a.m. time slot kids' shows. My daughter went nuts for Tom and Beck's Awesome Laundry. That was her absolute... We went and saw it again the next day. She couldn't stop talking about it. And how was it for you, though? I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. I've got to say, normally if a kids' show is good, you'll enjoy it too. Yeah. And if it's not good, they'll hate it. Like, kids aren't tricked 
buy kids stuff that's crap. You know, if my yeah. daughter likes it, she, you know, and she's like that with movies. You know, like all of the movies she likes, I'm like, that's actually, you know, those Pixar movies are all great movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, and it, whenever we've seen any rubbish, she's generally got bored pretty, pretty early yeah. on. So yeah, I love Tom and Beck's or Beck and Tom's. I'm not sure. And who's on your wish list for uh, comedy? Who's on my wish list? To go, you said to you're going to go and see. see yeah. Oh yes, uh, I'm going to go and see Cal Wilson. I'm going to go and see Lucy Porter, her play. I'm going to see that uh, maybe on Friday. She's done a play. Uh, who else am I going to see? I want to see Will Adamsdale. Uh, there's so many people I want to see, and I just know I'm not going to get around to it. But, mm. you know, I'm going to try. And apart from the, the, the amazing kids show you've seen, yeah? um, what else has been the highs and lows of your festival? The high of my festival, and I, I remember it, it was about two weeks ago, maybe, I took my, my kids to Baby Disco. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry, this is so lame, but it's just, <laughs> I, um, you know, I can't lie. It's not like, oh, I went out and partied till five. Um, we went to Baby Disco, and um, Baby Disco is, it's um, in the Spiegel tent. No, not Baby Disco, Monsky Mouse. Monsky Mouse, and that's different from Baby Disco, it's right. different, yeah. Anyway, Monsky Mouse is in Spiegel tent. It's a woman who used to DJ, and then she had kids, and just went, oh, well, I'll just do kids, yeah. So all the songs are great. They're like, you know, like Love Cats and, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah. cool songs. But yeah, she tells the kids to get down on the ground and pretend they're cats and stuff. The thing that's amazing is that all the parents lose their inhibitions because we're dancing with our kids. <laughs> so it's like you're drunk. <laughs> like, you know, people drink to lose that inhibition. And, yeah, yeah. And I found myself bathed in sweat, throwing my daughter up in the air and, and doing like to 99 red balloons <laughs> and like proper, and she was going nuts and we, we were like, I felt like we were like best friends at two in the morning <laughs> off our faces, but it was all just happy it was just amazing, we went yeah. outside it was a sunny day and we had a hot dog in the in the uh, St George Square beer garden area, it was the happiest I've been all festival, I just oh. completely danced away all my anxiety and and my son was in a good mood. It was just great. Sounds lovely. I'm was... jealous that I'm not allowed to attend through lack of children. Well, <laughs> I, they, they, don't, they don't like it when guys attend without kids. It's generally frowned upon. Uh, so going back to your, the start of your career, can you remember your first gig and yes. what inspired you to get into comedy? Uh, my first gig was awful. It was at the university bar. It was a, a thing called Five Minute Noodles. Five Minute Noodles was a stand-up competition for students. And I did it because a friend of mine kept on saying, you should do it. And I enrolled to do it and pulled out the previous semester because I was too scared. And then I, I kind of re-enrolled the following semester and, and, and entered it. And I, I, it was awful. And I was awful. And uh, I, I threw up beforehand uh, and just had the worst time imaginable on stage. I hated it. I just mm. really, everything about it. And it was a nice audience too. It was like all my friends. It was yeah. like all uni friends. Like, you know, it was the university bar. It wasn't like a, a proper normal nightclub or anything. Mm. But uh, it, I, I, it was weird. I hated it. But I also, there's something that I liked about it. And it's just, um, I sort of felt like I didn't have much of a voice in like day to day life. And mm. I had a microphone and no one was talking over me. And I thought, this is kind of, this is kind of cool that I can. Mm put thoughts together and I, I, I got, I've, got, I've got the time to prepare it I can think through it I don't have to think on my feet I can you know prepare it as meticulously as I like and I'll probably be given a certain amount of space to say it without being interrupted I just liked it I liked yeah. that 
Other than that, I hated it. I yeah. hated everything else about it. But and so you got the bug from then and then just carried Not on? really. I didn't do it for a long time after that. And yeah. then I, I started doing other stuff with that kind of crowd. Like I did university reviews and yeah. sketches and, and that sort of stuff. But I, um, I sort of kept coming back to stand-up. I couldn't... I think I couldn't figure out why I was so frightened. Even when the conditions weren't frightening, I would throw up. Like, you know, there'd be like 11 people in the audience on an open mic Monday night and I would still be gripped by fear. I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I mm. kept on thinking, when is the, when am I going to have that breakthrough moment Yeah. when I can put some perspective on this and realise that it doesn't matter if it goes badly? Why does it? Why do I care so much? And something I've noticed about you, uh, your Twitter account has laid dormant for yeah. a couple of years now, I think. Yeah, I know. Uh, why is that? Because it seems unusual to... for yeah. comedians not to use Twitter. I don't know what Twitter. to say. Anytime I go to say something, I freeze. I'm like, what are you... S- who gives a shit? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit what I'm thinking? And then I'd stop. It stops me at that moment. Yeah, and it hasn't stopped a lot of other people at that moment, much to their detriment. <laughs> um... No, I know it's I know it's a thing and it's here to stay and it's huge mm. and I, I just I, I can't I can't figure out any space for it in my life. I don't yeah. I don't think things are going, Oh, you should tweet that. Yeah. You should tweet that. I just I don't get it. But I you still use it to see what other people are doing. No. No. I have, I don't follow anyone. Apparently that's like the rudest thing in the world. My friend actually berated me. <laughs> I told her that's depressing that a thirty eight year old would berate me over my Twitter account. But she was like, do you know what? You've got followers and you're not following anyone. That is like the worst thing that you can do on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's a worst thing that you can do on Twitter. How does that... <laughs> now, as Amnesty International, we stand up for freedom of expression. Mm. But is there anything you wouldn't joke about? Uh, yes. I mean, all the obvious... All the obvious customers. Uh, you know, I... Of course. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I... Um, and I know that the the general look, uh, the general wisdom is that uh, a really good joke about something that is contentious isn't necessarily offensive. You can make a non-offensive joke about something that is a a, a don't go topic as long as mm-hmm. the joke is intelligent and funny and compassionate. Like you can do that. It's just got to be the best fucking joke if you're going to do it. Yeah. I think that's kind of the problem. I think. You know, if you're going to take a pop at something that is is uh, is very serious, yeah, and we all know the sorts of things that are very serious. You know, yeah. we're all adults. It's just got to be an amazing joke to warrant going going to that area. Yeah, I think I, I what I find really it's when someone makes a stupid joke about stuff. That's uh, it's stuff that's um, delicate or fragile. You yeah, know. yeah. So I, I think you know. Proceed with caution, I think, exactly, is my general... Yeah. Uh, sort of related to that, is there any jokes you wish you hadn't told? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i got, I got to look. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to trot them out. I'm not going <laughs> to put it out there. But, oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's the thing with stand-up. You, um, you learn in a very public environment. Mm. You cut your teeth in front of rooms full of people. I mean, I didn't... When I started... The internet hadn't really become what it is now. So, I, you know, I had a good, you know, four or five years of doing this stuff before the internet really started to take off, like, properly. I feel really bad for people who start now because it can all be recorded. It can all be put on a phone, downloaded, 
you know, and you can make really stupid mistakes when you when you first start. You really, mm. not even when you first start. Even you know, when you're older, you can make terrible yeah. mistakes. But you, you are you are learning in a very public environment, and, yeah. and you do make mistakes, and you make jokes that are inappropriate that you that you regret. And yeah, certainly, I I, I wrote an article in the Guardian about a, a piece of material that I, I really do regret doing because um, it just wasn't honest. It was it was I I I sort of fabricated. Uh, a response to something that was very serious. Oh, that was uh, in the Guardian about a terrible heckle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, to me, I, I, you know, I do. I, I feel like there was no, there wasn't a, a scrap of emotional truth in the, in that mm. material. I'd made it funny, but I hadn't discussed the, what I think is the real issue, and that is that somebody felt free to, to shout that at a young woman. Mm. I was young at the time. That you know, someone shouted that at me, and a room full of people were okay with that. Yeah. So, you know, I, and being young, I just kind of, I just, you know, I just made material about it. I turned it into something that I look back on and think, I, d I, didn't, I didn't say how that really made me mm. feel. I think in the article you talk about how you were surprised that the audience were actually laughing in, some yeah. of the audience were laughing in the wrong place. Yeah, that's right. So. I think, yeah, I'd retell the story and it would get an explosive laugh just from the heckle, you know, this awful heckle. And, um... It's a very weird feeling because you, you, it doesn't really occur to you that people can be laughing at something that you're doing for the wrong reasons. Mm, yeah. You can't control why people are laughing. Yeah. But it's a weird feeling when you go, hang on, I think, I think that's getting a laugh yeah. for the opposite reason why I wrote that. That's a weird feeling. Yeah. So if you completely, I mean, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, it's worth reading the article because mm. it's it was quite an in-depth, almost yeah. harrowing heckle you got. Yeah. So, but uh, have you completely cut that out yeah. of your set now? I, and, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. You know, I, it's 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 hard when a piece of material really works. Yeah. <laughs> when you go, just don't just don't ever say it again. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it just doesn't, and I, I, I kind of felt like it, it. It also, it's not really standing in solidarity with people who have had mm. those sorts of things happen to them, or have, but you know, been put in that that sort of uh, situation. Yeah. I don't think the material came across as me um, standing shoulder to shoulder with mm. people. I'd, I'd kind of got away. Yeah. You know. Um, and moving on, we, we spoke to a few female comedians who have said that they have to um, they, they have to be very conscious of what they wear on stage, <laughs> so it doesn't detract from what they're saying. Yeah. You know, do, does, is it something you have to think about quite consciously how you dress on stage? I'm um, I'm almost uh, I mean, I'm, everyone says OCD quite liberally nowadays. I'm not OCD, but I I've just worn the same thing on stage for about 15 years and I just can't break out of it. I don't know, mm. how, I, I want to break out of it, but I feel like it's, it's like it's my uniform. It's my work, yeah. it's my work uniform. Yeah. And if I muck around with it, God knows what the consequences will be. <laughs> I don't want to screw with the, the, the towering success that I've had by changing my look. Um, I, it, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I feel like it would throw me so much psychologically to walk out on stage in a different kit. Uh, so finally, thank you so much for joining us. My, um, I'm just hiccuping we... and burping at the same time. <laughs> into the mic. You're welcome. You're welcome. And will we see you here next year? And uh, is there any hints as to what the show will be about? It'll be another story. Uh, I think I'm done with doing stand-up shows. Mm. I love doing a story. I much prefer telling a story. Um, Maybe you just work through the 90s. I'll just make my way through. I've done 92. <laughs> now I'm going to move on to 98.
the end of the, of the Clinton era. I'll do a, a, a late Clinton era a dramatic piece about the, uh, the extreme right uh, circling in on the Clinton empire. Well, I, I would come and see that. Yeah, I'm sure, sure you would. <laughs> but Sarah Kendall, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Thanks and very much. We'll, we'll see you next year. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks. If you're interested in learning more about human rights or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk.